Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here. My name is Tim Park. I'm one of the pastors here. It's always just uh, so special to see you all here, uh, whether it's in person. Also, for those joining us online, we, we just so appreciate you joining us from wherever you may be. Uh, before we open God's Word, if you allow me just to take a few moment, moments to share some important church family news, and we do this from time to time, and uh, thank you for uh, allowing me to share some important updates. Uh, this past week, our dear friend Teresa Schaefer went home to be with the Lord. And uh, here you see a picture of Teresa. Teresa served so faithfully for so many years uh, with our kids' club, Wednesday evening child care ministry. And uh, we will dearly miss Teresa. Many of you may know uh, Teresa served alongside her daughter Linda Angelico, and they were a wonderful team in our kids' club child care ministry, again, for many, many years. And I will, uh, I will miss Teresa because, you know, she was ready to give anybody a hug on Sunday mornings. And she always came with a big smile, and she was always so encouraging and supportive of her church family and all of our church leaders. And so she went home to be with Jesus this past week. She is no longer suffering. Um, and we thank you for encouraging and supporting and praying for her daughter, Linda, and their entire family. And so we just want to share that update with you. I also want to take a moment to share an important update uh, on Jeannie Hopper. Many of you know Jeannie, of course, personally. Uh, many of you have had the opportunity to get to know her over the last several years. At the same time, many of you who are newer to our church in the last uh, few years or so, maybe you've not had a chance to meet Jeannie personally. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to at least show you a picture of Pastor Mark and Jeannie for those who are newer to our church, who may not be as familiar uh, with Jeannie. As, as many of you know, she's been battling cancer uh, for many, many years. Uh, Jeannie is currently on hospice care in her home. And uh, we are thankful that all of her children and grandchildren are now here in the States. And Pastor Mark and Jeannie have been serving so faithfully at our church for 34 years. 34 years of continued legacy. Pastor Mark was our senior pastor for 27 years, and then he uh, passed the baton on to me, and then he served on my staff for an additional three years, and he continues to, continues to serve so faithfully every single week in so many different ministries here at our church with Jeannie by his side, because Jeannie has been serving so faithfully. Even up until last Sunday, she was teaching a class on Sundays, leading small groups during the week. Many of you know this, that Jeannie's uh, impact doesn't stop here at our church. Over the years, she has made an incredible impact. Her impact is far-reaching into our community and beyond. And uh, she is home right now in hospice care. We don't know how many more days or weeks we have with her here on earth. 
the priority right now is to help Jeannie be as comfortable as possible. And uh, she's surrounded by her family. Her loved ones have come in from out of town. And, and how we can help is uh, we want to give the Hopper family as much space as possible. They're requesting no visitors at this time. And I know many of you want to reach out to them. And Pastor Mark has been so gracious fielding uh, many uh, phone calls and emails and text messages. Uh, we want to uh, help in doing our part to allow Jeannie to be as, as comfortable as possible in this time of, of hospice care. Jeannie, in the last several weeks, has set an amazing tone uh, for our church in that as they've received visitors, as she's spoken with people, as people go over there in tears, she's been encouraging us by her outlook. She is encouraging us, and she is ready to be with her Lord. She's expressed that to her loved ones here clearly. She is ready. And uh, when, when the Lord says, it is time, daughter, to come and be with me, uh, she will be ready. And uh, she wants to extend, extend that sense of um, confidence in her Lord to all of us, her church family. So thank you. Thank you for your prayers and your support. As I talked to Pastor Mark this weekend, he uh, extends his uh, gratitude to his church family for, for your love and support uh, for Jeannie. And uh, so thank you. Thank you, church family, for uh, walking through together with the Hopper family in this stage. Would you bow with me? Father, we come to you, and uh, as the song said, we need you every hour. And we thank you, God, that you are a God of all comfort. You're a God of a peace that surpasses our human understanding. And Lord, we worship a God who is sovereignly in control over every second of every day of our lives. Nothing, Lord, escapes your care. And so we thank you, God, for your care for every single one of us here in our church family. And in seasons where it is difficult, we thank you, God, that you are the God of every season, all the ups and downs. And we take confidence and comfort in that. And Lord, now as we turn our attention to your word, we're so thankful for your word, your constant word. Lord, because every time we open your word and we walk away, we are blessed because we have been in your word. We are challenged by your word. We are inspired by your word. We are moved by your word. I pray that you would move us to action for having been in your word today, Lord. And so teach us, work in our lives today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for being here on this uh, special Sunday. It's referred to as a Palm Sunday by many in the church. And today is a day that marks the entrance of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. And he would later that week go to the cross he would be crucified. 
but then ultimately he would rise from the grave. And we call this day Palm Sunday because, well, at that time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, some people laid palm branches down on the road. Some people waved palm branches as Jesus rode by. And that's why we refer today as Palm Sunday. And the title for this morning's message, appropriately, is The King's Entrance. The King's Entrance into the City of Jerusalem. And we'll be in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11 this morning. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. I want to pause and let you know this. One of our uh, members of our church was so gracious to provide some clipboards for those who love taking notes and yet have a hard time if your Bible's a little bit soft, you don't have that quite that firm uh, uh, clipboard backing. If you'd like to take notes anytime, you can go back and you can borrow a clipboard. There are several clipboards back there, appropriately sized for the half sheets that you have, and you can use that and put those back at any time. But if you've been with us throughout much of our series when you looked at the title, The King's Entrance, and then you looked at the passage, Mark 11, if you've been with us for much of the series, some of you may have been thinking, wait a minute, Tim, last week we were in Mark 4. What happened to all those chapters? Now we're in Mark 11. Okay, it's okay. Uh, I know we all love order. <laughs> We're going to get back to Mark chapter 4 in a couple weeks. Good. Good. Yes. I know. So in a couple weeks, we'll come back to Mark and we'll pick, uh, chapter 4 and we'll pick it up. But for today and next Sunday, we're jumping ahead to the third act. Do you recall? We've been saying for the last several weeks, Mark has laid out for us a three-act drama. And by way of review, if we go back to Act 1, that's chapters 1 through 8a. And help me out here. Act 1 takes place in the city of Galilee. Thank you. And so Act 1 takes place in the city of Galilee. That's chapters 1 through 8a. And people, they witness Jesus performing all these miraculous signs and wonders and healings. He's casting out impure spirits. They marvel at what they see, and so they ask the question, who is this Jesus? That's Act 1. Act 2 takes place between chapters 8b and 10. And in Act 2, it's the disciples who are asking the question. And the question they ask is, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? It's an important question that they wrestle with. And they wrestle with it because the answer to that question will also impact their lives. And by the way, as disciples in the 21st century, that answer impacts our lives as well. Act 2 takes place on the way from Galilee to the city of where? Jerusalem. And Act 3 is chapters 11 to 16. And the focal point of Act 3 is the paradox of Jesus becoming king. 
And so today, with that as our backdrop, I invite you now to jump ahead to, to uh, Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. And we've come to Act 3. So I'll read to you our passage for today. Mark 11, verses 1 through 11. Verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied it tied at a doorway, and as they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This was a scene of Jesus making his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. Act 3, again, is all about the paradox of Jesus becoming king. And it begins with Jesus arriving on the colt of a donkey. But there was another significant event that took place just prior to the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem. Mark doesn't lay that out for us here in his account. But we read it in other accounts. Luke mentions it in his account. Just before Jesus entered Jerusalem, he was at the home of Simon the leper. Jesus was the guest of honor at this dinner party. He was there with his disciples, and he was also there with Mary and Martha and Lazarus whom Jesus had raised from the dead just a few days earlier. And so picture yourself like a fly on the wall at this party, just listening in on all the conversations. Come on now. Lazarus was just raised from the dead. Can you imagine some of the conversations? Lazarus, what was it like? What did you experience? Did you see a white light? Tell us all about it. You know, people had to be fascinated with seeing Lazarus alive. It's not every day you see somebody who was once dead who is now alive. And so I imagine people were uh, huddled around Lazarus, asking him all kinds of questions. And I'm sure there were other pockets of conversations because, you know, it was a dinner party. People are gathered with their friends. They're just talking, conversing. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, everybody stops. They hear the shattering of a jar. Now, we've all been to a restaurant where somebody accidentally drops a plate or a glass. It's hard not to notice, right? 
He's trying not to, but everybody's head just turns. So that was a scene when this jar shattered on the ground. Every head turned, and they were shocked at what they saw. They turn and they see Mary kneeling at the feet of Jesus, pouring ointment on his feet and drying his feet with her hair. The disciples and all those gathered there, they looked with their jaws on the ground, shocked at what they saw. Here was Mary ministering to Jesus. But did you know the disciples, their first thought was not, oh, Mary, so kind of you to minister to Jesus. Their first thought when they saw Mary pouring this ointment was this. Mary, you could have sold that ointment and helped the poor. Now you got to understand, the reason why they thought that was this jar of ointment, it was expensive. Now, for those of you who like to take good care of your skin, skin care is not cheap, is it? It takes a lot of money to buy skin products and hair products. It is a lot of money. But let me tell you this, today's cost pales into comparison, in comparison to what the cost was for that ointment. That one jar of ointment that Mary broke on purpose cost 300 denarii. Now, 300 denarii, if that equated to $300, that'd be expensive enough. But it wasn't $300. One denarius was the equivalent of one day's worth of wage. 300 denarii was an entire year's salary. So imagine taking your year's salary, buying a bottle of ointment, and using it for somebody else. So the disciples, they were upset at Mary. And at that moment, here's what Jesus did. He looked up and he rebuked his disciples. He rebuked them because they didn't see what she was doing. When Mary broke that jar of ointment and poured it on Jesus' feet and dried his feet with her hair, she wasn't simply ministering and giving a kind gesture to Jesus. You know what she was doing? She was actually preparing Jesus for his burial. His disciples missed that. They couldn't see. Jesus was being prepared for his funeral. And he knew what Mary was doing. And so at that moment, the entire mood changed. You know, every time Jesus talked about his death, and in the later days he talked quite a bit about his death, it, it made his disciples uncomfortable. They didn't know why he would have to talk so much about his death. That's why in Act 2, 
right? They ask the question, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? Why is he talking like this? So that's the scene at the home of Simon the leper outside Jerusalem. And meanwhile, in Jerusalem, thousands and thousands of people had gathered for the Passover feast, but that particular year, they were extra excited about that feast because they had heard that Jesus was in town. Okay? And so they rushed into Jerusalem to see Jesus. Now, I know that this is not the, the greatest of uh, analogies, but by that time, in the minds and the eyes of the people, Jesus had gained rock star status. That's how big he was. All the people, they wanted to see Jesus, right? Think about your favorite band, your favorite musical artist. People, they drive from city to city. They fly thousands of miles away to see their favorite band. At that point in his ministry, he was at that height. People, they couldn't wait to see Jesus. So they, they went to Jerusalem looking for Jesus. But when he wasn't there, when somebody told them, oh, wait a minute, he's over there at the house of Simon, the leper. You know what they did? They rushed over there. So Jesus had to leave. And he instructed two of his disciples to go find the colt of a donkey. Now, here's a question for you. Could Jesus have entered Jerusalem on his feet? Yes. He could have walked through the streets of Jerusalem, but why ride on the colt of a donkey? Was well, because in the Old Testament, Zechariah prophesied that the Messiah would come riding on the colt of a donkey. This was symbolic. It was the symbolic claim that, in fact, he was the Messiah. And so when he instructed his disciples to go get the colt, he was making a statement about his kingship. You see, until that moment, all the people, they were ready to crown him as king. But he stayed out of the limelight as much as he could. But on that Sunday morning, he was ready to announce his kingship. The hour had come. It was time for the people to either receive him or to reject him. Again, I'm going to pause here and help us to, again, re to, to consider again this three-act drama. And in Act 3, the focus is on the paradox of Jesus becoming king. The paradox is this. The people were waiting for their rock star king to show up in all his splendor. And yet he came riding on a colt. When he came riding on a colt, he was not only announcing his kingship, he was announcing the character of his kingdom. The world was expecting this powerful leader to lead the revolt against the oppressive government, the Roman government, and to establish his own political kingdom. That's what they were waiting for. But when he came, he established a kingdom not of this world. 
But again, they line the streets. In Matthew's account, Matthew says that the entire city was stirred. The word stirred is where we get our English word seismos. And we're all too familiar with seismic activity here in Southern California. And so when Matthew says the whole city was stirred, what he was saying was everybody was at a fever pitch. They were having an emotional earthquake waiting for their king to arrive. They put their coats on the dirt. Some went up palm trees, cut down branches, laid them on the road. Some waved them as Jesus rode by. By the way, many of you received a palm cross on your way in. If you didn't, please pick one up on your way out. The palm branch is symbolic. So every time you see a palm branch or a tree, think this. Think victory and restoration. The palm branch is symbolic. Victory and restoration. By the way, thank you to all those who helped put these together this past week, which included students in our junior high ministry. So when you see them outside, thank them. Every time you see the palm tree in your yard, you can be reminded of victory and restoration. You know, for those who fly in from out of Los Angeles, from other states, and they're greeted by palm trees near LAX, they can think, oh, wow, the city of victory and restoration. The palm tree. I love palm trees. And every time we see palm trees, we can be reminded of Christ's victory and his restoring power. When the crowds waved the palm branches and laid them on the road, they were stirred, they were at a fever pitch. But here's the thing. They had no idea what had taken place just prior to the entrance of Jesus. Again, because Mark doesn't tell us what took place. But if we go back to Luke chapter 19 verse 41, we'll see what took place just before Jesus entered Jerusalem. Turn to Luke 19 and look at verse 41. Here in chapter 19 of Luke, verse 41, we read these words. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. He wept over it. Now, we all know that there are different types of cries, right? Like, for example, guys, right, maybe you, you, you want to be tough, and you don't want to know that, you don't want people to know that you're crying. Let's say you're watching a movie, right? And you come to a scene, and it makes you all teary-eyed, Okay. And your wife or your girlfriend say, says, are you crying? Oh, no, 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 I'm not crying, I'm not crying. All right. right? It's just an allergy, right? So there's a cry where your, your eyes just kind of fill with water, that very quiet, subtle cry. We know that kind of cry. But then there's the cry 
that you only hear at funerals. The cry of somebody who has had to bury a loved one. Maybe a spouse, a parent, maybe a child. You know, there, there's no cry like the cry of a parent who has had to bury a child. It is unmistakable. It's, it's unlike any other cry. And when it says in Luke chapter 19, Jesus wept over the city, it doesn't mean that he had water in his eyes. The word wept specifically meant a cry of anguish. So before Jesus entered the city, he paused and he cried with anguish over the city. Why though? Have you thought for a moment, why would Jesus cry over the city of Jerusalem? Well, partly because he thought about all those who were ready to oppose him, which included the religious leaders, and he wept for them. Notice that he did not get angry at them. He wept for their souls. And let's just stop and think about this for a moment. Think about what was going through the minds of the religious leaders who lined the streets. They were there. They were angry at Jesus. They were jealous. And again, they were jealous of his status and his fame. And they resented him. The very people who should have embraced him, they were upset at him. They were jealous of him. And the fact that Jesus cried for them it reveals so much about the heart of Jesus. He did not retaliate. He did not resent them. He cried for their souls. And you and I, let's face it, we, we know how powerful jealousy can be and how dangerous it can be. Have you ever noticed in your own life, uh, we're so quick to, uh, we're so quick to try to, uh, dismiss jealousy in our own lives. Oh, I'm not jealous. We try to uh, cover it up with a different emotion. But when we see jealousy in somebody else, we detect it right away. We call them out on it right away. Oh, you're just jealous. You're just jealous. So when we look at the lives of the Pharisees who were jealous and angry at Jesus, Jesus did not retaliate. He did not resent them. He cried for them. You know, jealousy has often been referred to as uh, the green-eyed monster. Have you heard that term? Jealousy is the green-eyed monster. And I thought, well, why is that? And so I found out that that term green-eyed monster, it has its origins way back uh, with the ancient Greeks. Back in ancient Greece, they thought that jealousy was the, the result of the overproduction of bile in the human body, which turns the body this shade of green. So when people got jealous, their skin would turn green because of the bile. And so people in the ancient Greek era, they would see someone say, oh, you're just jealous. 
Oh, you're green, you're jealous. The Pharisees, they were green with jealousy and envy. You know what they did? They were so jealous of Jesus as he rode in that they commanded Jesus to tell his disciples to stop praising him. Because as Jesus rode in through Jerusalem, the crowds and the disciples, they were praising Jesus. They were worshiping him. And the Pharisees said, the Pharisees said Jesus, tell your disciples to stop. Do you know what Jesus did? This is, this is amazing. And this, this sends chills up my spine every time I read about it. Jesus calmly says to the Pharisees, even if they stop, the stones will rise up and praise me. That, that, that is spine chilling. That even if the people were to stop praising Jesus, nature itself, the stones would stand up and start dancing. Stones just don't do that for anybody. Jesus cried over these Pharisees. He wasn't angry at them. He wasn't bitter at them. He didn't resent them. He cried out for them. And then as Jesus made his way through the streets, he saw some other people, all the crowds, right? The crowds that wanted to follow him from city to city, all those uh, who were calling him like the rock star, they were there, but they were just simply there because they were so enamored by his miraculous works. They were waving palm branches, putting their coats on the ground. But here's the thing. Those same people who were praising Jesus that Sunday, in less than a week, they'd be yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus wasn't upset at them. In fact, he knew they would do that. He cried in anguish because of their souls. Have you ever had a uh, friendship turn bad? Ever had a friendship kind of turn sour? I imagine most, if not all of us, have had that experience in our lives. Right? Something happens, and that person turns against you, or from that person's perspective, something happens, and you turn against that person. We've all experienced that, maybe in our own families, in our own friendships, work, church. And oftentimes, the result is uh, bitterness and resentment. If anybody could have been resentful, it was Jesus. All those who cheered him on in less than a week would say, crucify him. And yet, he cried for them. He just cried in sorrow for them. And then as he looked at the faces in the crowd, I think he also, I believe he also looked at his own disciples and his followers and he wept for them, too. 
because he knew that they would understand what it meant to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. Again, act two, the disciples ask the question, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? They would soon learn what it would mean. They wrestled with that question, and they would soon discover it means that he will go to the cross. And so Jesus, I, I'm confident that he wept for his disciples and his followers because he knew the long road ahead of them. He knew that they would have to suffer as well. I was thinking so much about this in the last few weeks. The mistake that I think many people make, especially those of us who live in parts of the world where life is pretty comfortable and we enjoy freedoms, I think the mistake that we often make is this, that uh, when we give our lives to Jesus, life becomes easier, we suffer less, right? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, that's true, but if wonderful also includes heartache and trials and suffering. You know, people often think, you know, if I give my life to Jesus, uh, we're going to receive one blessing after another. And, and I think about that question, you know, what does it mean to be blessed? You know, we have phrases like, oh, God has blessed me. And yes, God can bless in many different ways. But the thing is this, I think that oftentimes we as followers of Jesus in the 21st century, we, we are too quick to associate God's blessing with some type of just material advancement. Like, oh, God has blessed me with a new job. Or, or God has blessed me with a new house. And yes, those are wonderful things, but we, we are so quick to equate blessing with a material advancement. But listen to the words of this author. He writes this. Nowhere in Scripture are we promised worldly ease in return for our pledge of faith. In fact, the most devout saints from the Bible usually died penniless, receiving a one-way ticket to prison or death by torture. I mean, talk about a stark contrast to much of what we hear today about God's blessings. James, the brother of John, he became the first martyr in the church. John, his brother, was banished to a remote island. Peter was crucified upside down. Thomas was stoned to death. For them to hear the words, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It must have meant something very different than what it means today in many circles. You see, they learned, they learned what it meant to follow Jesus. In Acts 2, they asked the question, what does it mean? And then they learned quickly what it meant to follow him. 
life did not become easier for them. They gave their lives for Jesus. That author that I quoted, he continues with these words, as if that wasn't convicting enough for us, right? He says this, My prayer today is that I understand my true blessing. It's not my house or my job or my standard of living. No, my blessing is this. I know a God who gives hope to the hopeless. I know a God who loves the unlovable. I know a God who comforts the sorrowful. And I know a God who has planted the same power within me, within all of us. And for this blessing, may our response always be, use me. So when we think about Palm Sunday, more than anything else, may we be reminded of the heart of Jesus as he entered the city of Jerusalem. Now I want to uh, consider two questions today as we look ahead to this all-important week. Two questions for us all to consider. One is this. What can we learn from the heart of Jesus? Especially when faced with opposition in our own lives. What can we learn? So the next time you're faced with opposition from an opponent, someone else, an enemy, ask yourself, what can I learn from the heart of Jesus and how he responded? And the second question is this. This week as we prepare for Easter, how can God use us for his glory? How can God use us for his glory? By the way, I want to take a moment to say a huge thanks to our uh, photo session team who was out there yesterday at Pantera Park, who was out there uh, last Saturday. They were ministering to our community, and they were being used by God for his glory. And so for all those who were out there yesterday ministering, a huge thank you for reaching out to our community. Can we thank them? This week, as we approach the Easter weekend, ask yourself, you know, God, how can you use me for your glory? This week, to share the heart of Jesus. We weren't there at that first Palm Sunday some 2,000 years ago. But I've got some good news. Did you know that one day in the future, we'll have the opportunity to experience a Palm Sunday. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 12. Verse 9 says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches 
in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for this special day as we are reminded of the events of that morning as Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem. We are also reminded of the tears that he shed as he wept for the city, for those who opposed him, those who were just curious, and for his followers. And I pray, God, that as we approach the Easter weekend, God, that this week, every day, we would be reminded that as followers of Jesus Christ, we can ask that question, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? Knowing that that impacts our lives. So help us to live, Lord. Help us to live in light of that truth. That as we have committed our lives to Jesus, that we would know what it means to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. And so we look forward, God, to the work that you're going to do in and through our lives. And we look forward to being back here on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Thank you, God, for your goodness. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.